Major privacy breach at Life Labs. We did what we thought was best to secure this data. What hackers stole from as many as 15 million Canadians. Homeowners rant against renters. The absence of long-term residents, that is growing families, results in quote-unquote slummy conditions. How Coquitlam's mayor responded. And bullying scandal at an elite girls' school. The school's reaction was, you're the problem. Why one parent is launching a lawsuit. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A cyber attack has exposed the private and personal information of millions of medical patients in BC and Ontario. Hackers targeted the computer system at Life Labs in early November. Aaron MacArthur shows us how the company is responding now and what you need to know if you've been a patient there. Life Labs has personal information on file for about 5 million British Columbians. Every one of those patients now potentially at risk after a hacker stole the personal data from the company. A serious breach that has compromised 15 million people nationwide. Their data is valuable and we may have made them a little nervous about this and we'll do everything we can to rebuild their confidence in us. The company was made aware of the data breach in October. The government of B.C. notified October 28th and the Privacy Commissioner a few days later. Yet it took almost seven weeks to tell the public. A delay B.C.'s health minister says was necessary to prevent secondary hacks and to protect data that was still vulnerable. The only reason there was a delay was to, uh, to ensure that uh, information that uh, hadn't been compromised wouldn't be compromised and that uh, information that could be protected was protected. The CEO of Life Lab says the data was recovered after a payment was made to the criminal group responsible. So far, there is no indication the information was shared online, but there is no guarantee the data wasn't copied and saved for later use. So when we see credit cards stolen, credit cards have expiration dates. You've only got so long as a crook to, uh, to, to sell that information or abuse that information. Uh, things like your SIN number and your birth date don't change for your whole life, so that doesn't mean they couldn't change their mind uh, a week from now, a month from now, or 10 years from now. The B.C. government paid Life Labs $245 million last year for service and expects the private company's data to be made safe against cyber attack. Life Labs says the system has now been secured. And we're not seeing any indications that the data is out there. In fact, our cyber experts are suggesting that the risk is quite low. Life Labs will provide fraud insurance for a year to any customer who falls victim to identity theft. Information for customers about the hack available on Life Labs website. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And just for reference, here's a look at some of the other prominent Canadian security hacks. In 2019, a hack involving Capital One affected 6 million people in Canada, 106 million worldwide. And in 2018, CIBC owned Simply Financial and BMO suffered a hack in which the personal information of 90,000 Canadian customers was stolen. A daycare employee has been arrested in connection with recent allegations involving children on Vancouver Island. Central Saanich police say they received information late last week that started their investigation. A search warrant was executed at the Montessori Educare daycare yesterday morning. A male teacher there was arrested and then later released. No charges have been laid at this point. 
Officers trained in child interviewing will be in contact with families and children in the days ahead. The daycare right now is closed. A heart-wrenching letter from a grieving mother dominated the sentencing hearing for Andrew Berry today. He was found guilty of murdering his daughters Chloe and Aubrey on Christmas Day two years ago. Brad McLeod was in court and has more on how their mother, Sarah Cotton, describes the devastating impact on her life. Through tears, the girl's mom, Sarah Cotton, shared how she's been anxious and unable to sleep since her girls were murdered. Friends, family and politicians filled the courtroom so full, two overflow rooms were opened. Cotton was the first to speak about being mom to six-year-old Chloe and four-year-old Aubrey. I was honored to be their mother. That's all I ever wanted to be. Our house hummed with energy, giggles, fast little footsteps, and sometimes tears. There was so much life and joy in our house, and now it has all gone silent. Andrew Barry was found guilty in September of two counts of second-degree murder in connection to the deaths of Chloe and Aubrey Berry, whose bodies were discovered on Christmas Day 2017 at his apartment. Barry was found in the apartment laying in the bathtub with several stab wounds. Chloe and Aubrey stabbed to death in their beds. In court Tuesday, Barry appeared detached and he kept his head down, even when this piece of artwork was shown, made by a five-year-old friend of Chloe and Aubrey. The boy's mother read out his words. I like them being alive. I really had fun with them. He also drew how he feels now. Then Oak Bay Mayor Kevin Murdoch spoke, saying the double murder has shaken the community to its core, and he shared first responders have been deeply and permanently scarred. This week's hearings will help the judge decide how soon Barry can apply for parole. The minimum is 10 years until he's eligible, but the max is 25 years. I dread the day I have to begin attending multiple parole hearings. The pain, trauma and psychological harm will only continue if this has to be revisited every few years. Victim impact statements wrapped up early Tuesday. Crown and Defence Council were able to make their cases for parole eligibility. Court has adjourned until Thursday. That's when the judge will hand down her sentence. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. It's been four and a half years since North Vancouver toddler Alika Gonzalez died from a snake bite. She was being cared for at the time by Henry James Thomas in his Seabird Island home near Agassiz, where he kept venomous snakes. Thomas was convicted of failing to provide the necessaries of life earlier this year. Today he was sentenced in North Vancouver Provincial Court to 18 months in jail, minus three months for time served, followed by two years probation. Prior to sentencing, the judge warned that warned the family that they might feel upset or disillusioned by the length of the sentence. One person has died, a second sent to hospital following a fast-moving housing house fire in Burnaby. <laughs> Crews say they were called to a home on Dundas Street and Rainlaw Avenue at one this morning. When they arrived, they found the property engulfed. A woman in her 70s was pulled from the home, but she did not survive. A second person, a man, managed to make it out, but was taken to hospital with injuries. No word on what caused the blaze, but it's not believed to be suspicious.
Breaking news now from the city of Vancouver, where council has passed its controversial 2020 budget, including a major property tax increase. Originally, it was an 8.2% increase for the average homeowner. That led to a significant backlash, and they dialed it back a little. But late this afternoon, after a few amendments, council voted to accept a budget that includes a 7% property tax increase instead. Now to Surrey, where residents there were riled up as council voted on their 2020 budget. Hundreds of boisterous supporters on both sides filled council chambers. The controversial plan was eventually passed, but Grace Key explains why the opposition says it was an undemocratic process. We need fire, fire! It was a wild Surrey City Council meeting with outbursts from opposing groups and heckling. What SOBs? As soon as the controversial budget came up. At this point, the province has given Surrey the green light to have its own police. Having had enough, Mayor Doug McCallum and his Safe Surrey Coalition walked out. But the crowd didn't calm down, and after 10 minutes, they returned for voting. All in favor against care, there would be no speakers. On number 16, because of safety conditions. What? Number 16. But things got heated once again when Councillor Stephen Pettigrew was denied a chance to talk about the budget that is no new money for RCMP or firefighters and instead prioritizes funds for the new municipal police force. The crowd erupted in cheers when Councillor Pettigrew turned his back to the mayor. After the meeting, the four opposing councillors spoke about being silenced. Democracy just died a little bit more tonight and the procedure by laws were not followed. It's truly tragic and it's an embarrassment for the city. Because of safety concerns that um, we would um, not have any, not just them, but even any of the other councillors to um, have a debate. In Councillor Jack Hundile suggested the Minister of Municipal Affairs should review the meeting. The conduct of it, and certainly the mayor's conduct, um, that was completely against our procedural bylaws. A written statement from the ministry reads, in cases where these bylaws are not followed, action can be taken in the courts. Adding municipalities have autonomy and specific questions about Surrey's council meeting procedures and any potential violations of them should be directed to the city. The budget passed in a five to four vote. That completes the um, budget for next year. Grace Key, Global News. A letter from Donald Trump that will go down in history, the scathing missive about those pushing for impeachment, coming up on the News Hour. And the incredible video of a teen abducted from a New York street. Why it's not what it seems later. Right now, though, disturbing allegations involving bullying at a Vancouver private school, prompting parents of one student to pull their child and file a lawsuit. The student's parents claim Crofton House knew of the abuse and did nothing to enforce its own code of conduct, leading their daughter to suicidal behavior. Catherine Urquhart has more on the allegations. Three and a half weeks ago was the last time she was in Children's Hospital for self-harming and trying to commit suicide. In October, Natalie Bowles' 13-year-old daughter overdosed on Xanax at Crofton House School, the drug allegedly given by a classmate. Bowles says it was the crisis point amid extreme bullying at school and online. My daughter was out of it, couldn't say what she had taken. So they gave her a Narcan injection. And 
during that, they took off her clothes and saw cut marks all the way up her arms. And they said, are you suicidal? And she said, yes. Natalie's daughter painted this image of herself after receiving hundreds of hateful messages. They were like, nobody likes you at Crofton House. You should leave. Nobody wants you here. And then you should kill yourself and drink bleach. The distraught mom turned to other parents and to the school. They completely didn't acknowledge how serious this gossip was and how far spreading it was starting. Bowl has filed a lawsuit against Crofton House, saying it owed her daughter a duty of care. Among the allegations against the prestigious school, failing to ensure that students were monitored adequately, failing to abide by and enforce its own code of conduct with respect to homophobia, racism, harassment, and bullying, and failing to prevent the distribution of drugs on Crofton House school grounds. The school's reaction was, you're the problem. We don't want anyone to know that this bullying is happening. They kept asking me to keep things confidential. Crofton said no one was available for an interview, stating the school does not agree with the characterization of events as portrayed in the lawsuit and will provide a robust legal defense of the allegations. We make every effort to create an environment that is free from all forms of discrimination and unacceptable behavior. This is all of her... Uniforms. Bull's daughter still has her school uniforms, but no longer attends Crofton House. The doctor sat down and he said, I'm going to tell you one thing, and that is never let your daughter go back to that school again. I'm telling you that this is a life or death situation. The allegations have not been proven in court. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A suggestion that renters turn neighborhoods into slums is stirring up controversy tonight. The allegation was made at a public meeting about a proposed development in the city of Coquitlam. Nadia Stewart has more on the project and the comments from one speaker that offended many people, including the mayor. Developers need to think in terms of family ownership instead of return on investment. It was a comment made at Monday night's public meeting at Coquitlam City Hall that prompted this tweet from Mayor Richard Stewart. It had to do with a proposed development on Edgar Avenue and who it might attract. These detached units will attract renters instead of homeowners. The absence of long-term residents, that is, growing families, results in quote-unquote slummy conditions over time. The comment simply was, um, this project is likely to attract renters, and uh, that could make it into a slum. This lot has been vacant since 2010. The proposal now for 824 Edgar Avenue is to build a detached four-unit multiplex, four family-sized homes with a total of eight parking spaces. Bearland Strata, so these would be individually owned, so it's more likely that this project is the opposite of what he thought it was. Coquitlam Mayor Richard Stewart says this kind of gentle density is what Coquitlam needs. But the man who made the comment says he's been misunderstood. I was referring to the, the care that, that homeowners uh, add to when they're present on their property. Jason Chabot says his concern is renters are being exploited by developers. His petition calls for a duplex with secondary suites. If we get duplex development, it'll attract 
homeowners. But for the neighbor who lives directly adjacent to the vacant lot, she still has memories of when police swarmed the home next door after it was being used as a meth lab. She wants some kind of assurance her new neighbors won't do the same. Police came and busted and they actually had to demolish the house. So I've been through all that, so it's really scary. So what kind of neighborhood are we going to get? Nadia Stewart, Global News. Jim Patterson's bid to take full control of forestry giant Canfor has failed. The company is stating the majority of minority shareholders would not back the transaction by the December 16th deadline. The decision comes despite a special committee of Canfor's board previously supporting the almost $1 billion offer. At the beginning of 2019, the company operated 13 sawmills across the province. But in the wake of the ongoing forest industry slowdown, two have been closed and all the others have faced job curtailment. Shares in Canfor fell more than 20% today on news of the canceled deal. And now another potential roadblock for ride-hailing companies planning to operate in B.C. The union fighting on behalf of rideshare drivers began mediation with Uber and Lyft at the Labor Relations Board today. Richard Zussman explores whether unionized employees can even work in this model. On the roads, Lyft and Uber are competitors, but for a rare instance, they are now working together, making an argument before BC's Labor Relations Board that they should have the right to have contractors rather than employees. It's something the UFCW is contesting and the Labor Relations Board will ultimately make a decision on. And I think this goes to the bigger picture of what the future of work looks like in our province. So as these uh, major gig economy employers are coming in, we want to see them be successful, but we also want the people who work for them to be successful. Uber, Lyft and the UFCW were in a room together on Tuesday for informal meetings. There will be formal submissions put forward in January to make the determination about how these companies should be treated. The Independent Passenger Transportation Board is in the midst of reviewing applications from Uber and Lyft and are expected to make a determination soon. Transportation Minister Claire Trevena says it's too early to judge how the Labour Relations Board will rule. My view is that people should be getting paid appropriately for, for the work that they are doing. Um, nobody is wanting to see anybody to being exploited. Then there's the question about taxi companies. In many cases, companies use their employees as contractors when the license holder gets somebody else to drive the vehicle. Both the Vancouver Taxi Association and the BC Taxi Association unavailable for comment. The UFCW says they're looking at ride hailing here. Uber and Lyft not speaking after the meeting, but Lyft did provide a statement reading, wherever Lyft operates, Lyft works hard to protect drivers' rights, including drivers' rights to participate in the ride-sharing economy and earn income when and where it meets their needs. There have been some jurisdictions that have ruled that ride-sharing drivers should be required to become uh, employees of those companies, where other jurisdictions allow the companies to continue to operate with the model they have now, which are contract workers. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. On the topic of transportation, a new Canada Line station is coming to Richmond. The long-envisioned Capstan station will be built in the area of Number 3 Road and Capstan Way between the existing Bridgeport and Aberdeen stations. The construction made possible by a 2012 agreement that would see a new station added to support growing development in that area. More than 6,000 residential units are being built in and around the region. The project is expected to be complete by mid-2022.
Well, Global BC and Rock 101 have been celebrating the spirit of giving today with the 32nd annual Pan Pacific Christmas Wish Breakfast. Love the sound of the pipes. Thanks to your generosity, volunteers collected more than 15 tons of toys at the Pan Pacific in Vancouver, while donors gave more than $47,000 in cash and gift cards, too. Anyone donating a new unwrapped toy or gift cards received a complimentary breakfast. The mountain of toys, clothing, and cash will help children's Christmas dreams come true. All of the donations support the work of the Lower Mainland Christmas Bureau. And a special shout-out, a special shout-out to Jean and Alan Hughes, who've been married a million years and were there today, well, a long time, a couple in their 80s, they were there today, they ran into my sister, and they love it down there. They spent the night and they come every year. Oh, it's such a fun time. Such a fun time. Especially if you spend the night and then you wake up to all the festivities in the morning. Absolutely. All right, meteorologist Christy Gordon is live in Steveston tonight, taking in another great holiday event. Christy? I sure am. Always all around town these days, you guys. This is a fun one. We're in Steveston Village. This is Town Square Park, where there's an interactive light display behind me, some people singing and actually getting the lights to move. I want to introduce you to Lindsay Lee. She's the marketing coordinator here uh, in, uh, in the Steveston Village. Now, what is Winter in the Village all about? Yeah, so Winter in the Village is a collection of programs and events happening in and around Steveston from mid-November all the way to the end of December. So we do uh, still have some ongoing upcoming events. We have Songs in the Snow happening behind us here at Town Square Park on Saturday from 4 to 6. So we have some local musicians coming in and lots of different activities for families. Um, We also have some ongoing events. So some of the merchants around Steveston have decorated their windows for a winter window display contest. So the public can look at all the windows, get some Christmas shopping done, and vote for their favorite window. We have different lights um, all around the village, and then the historic sites are all lit up and decorated. Lots of kids' activities uh, there as well. And then the cannery has the Festival of Trees going on as well. Oh my gosh, lots to offer all around the village here. Where's the website so people can get more information? Yeah, so it's visitrichmondbc.com slash wintervillage. There you go, guys. Running right through until the new year. Thank you so much for having us here, Lindsay. Thank you. All right, back to you guys. All right, we'll talk to you in a bit. Thanks, Christy. Santa on a rigid hull inflatable boat. You'll only find that (laughs) on the West Coast. Exactly. A tornado outbreak tore apart homes in the southern U.S. At least three people are dead after more than two dozen tornadoes were reported in the past 24 hours. The violent storms tearing through Alabama, Louisiana and Mississippi, leveling homes and uprooting trees. In Louisiana, a school was flattened by a massive twister that sent students and faculty scrambling into a church next door. Communities now cleaning up after the devastation. Well, on the eve of his expected impeachment, the U.S. president unloading on Nancy Pelosi in a six-page letter. Donald Trump lambastes the speaker over her effort to have him impeached while portraying himself as a victim. 
On the eve of the historic House vote, President Trump sending a scathing letter to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, demanding she, quote, immediately cease this impeachment fantasy. The president calling the effort a crusade that has cheapened the importance of the very ugly word. The letter at times using rhetoric that seemed straight out of a Trump rally. The president telling Pelosi more due process was afforded to those accused in the Salem witch trials and even accusing Democrats of declaring open war on American democracy. The president also lashing out in fiery remarks today. I'm not watching. I haven't. I've not seen it. Look at say a hoax. The whole impeachment thing is a hoax. Uh, we look forward to getting onto the Senate. In an interview with CNN tonight, Pelosi calling the letter ridiculous and sick. Democrats say President Trump violated his oath of office by asking the leader of Ukraine to investigate the Bidens, including during that July phone call and withholding critical U.S. military aid. On Capitol Hill today, House Democrats and Republicans making their closing arguments. The president's continuing course of conduct constitutes a clear and present danger to democracy in America. We cannot allow this misconduct to pass. There will be a day of reckoning. The calendar and the clock will continue. But what you do here and how we have trashed the process in getting here will live on. And with the Democratic-led House all but certain to impeach the president, the Senate is gearing up for a trial, where tonight battle lines are already being drawn. Majority Leader Mitch McConnell rejected a request by Democrats to have current and former Trump officials testify and ratcheted up tensions with this blunt comment. Uh, I'm not an impartial juror. This is a political process. There's not anything judicial about it. Impeachment is a political decision. Do you want someone who proudly says they are not impartial to be on a jury judging high crimes and misdemeanors? For his part, the president was defiant when asked if he bears any responsibility. No, I don't take any, uh, zero, uh, to put it mildly. Uh, they took a perfect phone call that I had with the president of Ukraine, an absolutely perfect call. You know it, they all know it. Police in New York City say a teenage girl is safe tonight after surveillance video showed her being snatched off the street. Grainy security video released by police shows 16-year-old Carol Sanchez and her mother walking in the Bronx when a tan sedan pulls up. Two men jump out and grab the teen, forcing her into the car. That apparent violent kidnapping sparking an amber alert before the NYPD announced this afternoon that Sanchez had been found and that her story didn't quite add up. There is no audio and the images are grainy, but the terror of the moment is unmistakable. Two men jump out of a car in the Bronx and grab a 16-year-old as she walked down the sidewalk next to her mother. The video released by police shows the late-night struggle. Her mother tried to fight off the men, according to police, but was pushed to the ground, the car racing off with the young girl inside. Tonight, a turn few saw coming. Police sources tell NBC News they are investigating the possibility it was all staged. The 16-year-old may have orchestrated her own kidnapping. But this morning, there were still fears she was abducted. An amber alert issued, the neighborhood shaken. I walk here all the time, 
And the fact that she got taken away right in front of her mother is something that's like, oh my God, so scary. And I was getting messages from my family. They found the girl. But then late this afternoon, someone spotted the teenager walking down the street. She was by herself. She crossed the road. She went directly to the driver's side window of the police vehicle. And she was trembling and shaking. You could see she was really shooken up. The police called the family. They found her. A mother's worst nightmare is over. While there's a chance her daughter's legal troubles are only just beginning. Stephanie Gosk, NBC News, New York. Breaking news now and more bad news for our forest industry. Western Forest Products announcing that after resuming bargaining with the United Steelworkers Union late last week, negotiations to end the strike have now reached an impasse. The company says no future mediation dates have been scheduled at this time. Western Forest Products and the United Steelworkers Union have been locked in a labor dispute since July 1st. Both sides had hoped a return to the bargaining table with mediators would lead to a new collective agreement before Christmas. The strike is affecting about 1,500 hourly employees and another 1,500 contractors and Timberlands workers. In health matters tonight, children spending Christmas in hospital got a surprise visit today thanks to a very special flight. That's right, it's Santa landing on top of Surrey Memorial Hospital today after boarding Helijet for a hospital hopping flight. St. Nick, along with his trusted elf, BC Infant Transport Team paramedic Ray Sims, also flew to BC Children's Hospital and Royal Columbian to spread some early Christmas cheer. The annual tradition sees a special delivery presents for sick kids and their families. Would you take care of this one? Yes. And would you take care of his sister? Yeah. Oh, we, we take children at their, when they're in dire straits and transport them to the hospitals providing the care. To see them today in this environment with their eyes wide open, the surprise on their face to see Santa, that's what it's all about. It's so rewarding. Nice to see their smiles. Check out this massive field of photovoltaic solar panels in southern Egypt's desert. So large you can actually see it from space. After its $2.1 billion second phase was finished last month, the Benban plant near Aswan became one of the world's largest solar parks. It's designed to anchor a renewable energy sector there. The plant provides nearly one and a half gigawatts to Egypt's national grid. That's about half the capacity of BC's massive WAC Bennett Dam. From wild animal encounters to balloon blunders, the strangest troubleshooting calls of the year for BC Hydro. That's right after the forecast. And let's check in with Christy right now, who's got another beautiful winter wonderland, although not quite white, behind her now. <laughs> no, and thankfully we got a break in the rain as well. I'm in the Town Square Park. This is a Steveston Village, uh, winter in the village. Look at this. So cool how you can get the lights to uh, change when you clap or sing or do whatever. Uh, so yes, interactive light display, but there's lots of events going on all around uh, Steveston Village, as we mentioned earlier. Let's talk about the rain that's on the way. We've got a lot of it coming. All right, so Metro Vancouver rain. So further south you go, areas like White Rock, not as much, probably Steveston as well. But then the further north you go, you can see Coquitlam up to 48, uh, 47 for Metro Vancouver. And this is by the end of the day tomorrow. Also significant amounts for West Coast 
coast of Vancouver Island. Uh, so yes, you'll need your rain jacket and umbrella. And a quick reminder that you, when you turn your wipers on, turn your lights on too. It's really important that you have your lights on during the day when it's raining so that other cars can see you. So there's the band. Um, if you're up early, you likely won't see the heavier rain. It won't begin until around between 8 and 10, depending on your location. And it will be heavy through the afternoon hours along with windy conditions. Uh, so uh, the commute home may be very slow. And then we're also concerned about some highways. Sea to Sky Highway certainly will see snow, especially overnight tonight. And all other mountain passes expecting at least flurries. So West Coast uh, getting the bulk of it from the north coast all the way across the south coast. Inland regions, not a lot of precipitation, although you will see a few flurries. So periods of rain beginning through the morning hours tomorrow, heavy through the afternoon with windy conditions. It's on and off all week long. Sorry to say, all I'm talking about is not whether the rain will stop, it's just whether what type of rain really you'll see. Thankfully, though, we're catching a nice little break right here. Yeah, out here on the West Coast, we've got all kinds of yeah. rain, all different varieties. Yeah. Oh, so true. All right. Thanks a lot, yes. Christy. <laughs> well, among the approximately 50,000 BC Hydro calls in 2019, some really stand out. An itchy bear in Williams Lake left 10 customers without power after it used a hydro pole as a scratching post. Busy beavers harvesting timber for a dam were behind outages in Dawson Creek and Hazleton. After trees collapsed onto power lines, crews in Hickson thwarted a similar outage by removing a tree that beavers were trying to fall. And sparks flew when a hot air balloon crashed into power lines during the first flight of the Vernon Winter Carnival. Fortunately, the passengers landed safely. And remember this one? Some not-so-sharp shooting hunters near Stewart used transmission towers for target practice, leaving 170 customers in the dark and causing more than $60,000 in damages. The itchy bear is my favorite, though. That's a good one. It is a good one. There were drones. There was an eagle that dropped its prey on the wires, and that caused an outage, oh. all kinds of Maybe weird. he just wanted to cook it a little bit. Yeah, yeah he doesn't <laughs> like sushi. That so. certainly did right. the trick. It's another one of those games where the Canucks fans are going to have to be really loud mm -hmm. to drown out the visiting teams. Well, and fans. they get their team going, too. The Canucks yeah. have actually lost three of their last four. It's been weird, though. They probably should have beaten Toronto. They were beaten by the Leafs goalie. They probably should have lost the, the Canes, but Jacob Markson was a better goalie that night. They were unlucky not to get at least a point against San Jose, and they were awful against Vegas. They have Montreal in town tonight. Montreal, I think, is a team that in the NHL right now, they average the most shots on goal per game. So this one could be wide open as well. So a lot of people are asking the Canucks and head coach Travis Green, what's been going on lately? What's with the two losses and the three losses in their last four? Well, I think we've had some ups and downs. Uh, I said it the other night. I didn't like the Vegas game. Um, I also really liked the San Jose game. I think uh, you might not be asking me that question if we won the San Jose game. I think... Our game against last two periods against San Jose was good. Uh, I think last game we well, felt like we were always like half a sec behind the play, always half a second too late. So, uh, but uh, day off yesterday uh, and ready to go tonight against Montreal. So when we play the right way, we're we're a team that uh, that can contend. Um, you know, we we got some really fast forwards just like Montreal does. Um, it was the same. It was the same there. When we play the right way, when I was there, we uh, we could beat any team any night. And you know, the, the, those guys over there need to use their speed. And it's just like here, we need to use our speed and, and make things hard on the opposer.
That is a professional beard that mm -hmm. Joey Ben has going. There he is, Shea Weber. Remember in 2016 when the Habs and the Predators made that big trade? P.K. Subban went to Nashville and Shea Weber went to Montreal. And everybody was wondering, who won that trade? Well, you can never tell unless you give it a few years. P.K. Subban's no longer in Nashville. He got moved to New Jersey. So the fact that Weber's still in Montreal leads me to think Montreal got the better of the deal. They'll fake the shot. One-timer, Weber, who scores? No faking that. This is the Shea Weber everyone is familiar with. Weber, the second leading goal scorer amongst NHL defensemen with 10. The 34-year-old back to his old dominating self and a big reason why the Habs remain in the thick of it playoff-wise. When Shea Weber is healthy, he's, uh, he's a house. He's like a uh, few guys mentioned in the past, a mountain man or men mountain, and he is. He's been outstanding for us on and off the ice. Weber only knows how to play the game one way, and that's hard. He's paid the price for it, too. His last couple of years marred by injury. Weber skating in just 26 and 58 games the last two seasons. A broken foot followed up by serious tendon surgery, followed up by knee surgery. To say it's been nerve-wracking is an understatement for the three-time Norris Trophy finalist. Missing time is hard. Obviously, uh, two, uh, two pretty big surgeries was tough, and I don't think... Uh, Physically, I don't think it was as demanding as it was meant to, just uh, going through that. You know, obviously your body can handle a lot, but just doing the first surgery, being out and kind of getting surprised by the second surgery, I think mentally that was the, the biggest uphill battle and climb for me to, to kind of overcome. When we first got him, uh, he was outstanding and he was healthy and he's got, he got hurt, you know, like you mentioned, uh, his ankle, his knee. Uh, so that took a toll on him, you know, missing some times, long period of times. Shea Weber busting right in, leans in, takes it all the way around, wraparound try and he scores! What a play by Shea Weber! It's a man amongst boys when he when he's playing the way he is. Um, he's a, he's an elite defenseman, um, he's a big man, he's got a heavy shot, so when he's playing his way, he, he can he can take over a game real quick, so it's it's cool to watch. Do you love him playing the game again? Yeah, oh, I'm, I never stopped loving it. Still, uh, still love it, and obviously when I'm done loving it, I think that'll be time to, to go. So this was at the end of the Canucks game day skate today. Bo Horvat goes over because it's Landon's birthday and it's close to Christmas. So he gives him the stick, which Bo autographed as well. That's nice. I know. That kid will never forget it. Do you remember being at that age and, and having something special done for you? I mean, you gave the kid his, your stick. It's only a hockey stick, but I'm telling you, the yeah. kid's smiling ear to ear. No, for sure. I mean, anytime you get a fan wearing your jersey, or um, you know, I know what it was like to, to meet an NHL player when I was that age, and it's really exciting, and I'm glad I got to make his birthday. Canada-USA rivalry series. Women's hockey, it's already 1-0 for the Americans. They will make it 2-0. Alex Carpenter. Standing at the right side of the net, if you're the goalkeeper. And that makes it 2-0. Canada would get one in this game. And Sophie Batez. Get it? And Sophie. Apparently a global viewer who named her daughter after Anne and Sophie. That made it 2-1, but Canada, Canada couldn't score. Strangely enough, there's no Chris Squires on this team. But anyway... I know. Yeah. The Americans won it 2-1. I think Anne-Sophie has a nice ring to it. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly does. And from Sophie, we'll...
toss it over to Ann. Or Sophie Ann, yeah. <laughs> the preview of tonight at 11. Thanks, Chris. Amherstburg police are asking for the public's help in finding a mobility scooter. The red scooter was stolen from a 65-year-old Amherstburg woman who suffers from MS. Police say it was taken from her garage the night of November 30th in the 3300 block of Wren Crescent. And one of the largest and oldest polar bear swims in the world is about to celebrate a milestone. The event turns 100 on January 1st. The Vancouver Park Board announcing its celebration plans as hundreds are expected to take the plunge. More on the festivities and what participants can expect when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Chris, Sophie. They can expect it to be cold. Thank you very much, <laughs> Ann. Here's your snow report for this evening. Whistler Blackcomb picked up 10 centimeters of snow. Grouse 3, Cypress nothing new, but they'll get some in the next 24 hours. Sasquatch opens on December 1st. Manning Park still waiting to find a date. Revelstoke 25 centimeters of snow. Fernie 6, Kicking Horse 4. Big White picked up 8. Silver Star 5, Sun Peaks another 1, and Apex 3 centimeters. Mount Washington still waiting to find a date, same as Red Mountain. Whitewater picked up 6, but Powder King picked up 22. A U.S. man who found himself alone when the universe dealt him a life-threatening health challenge is alive tonight thanks to the kindness of a nurse. She stepped in to give him something he desperately needed. As a nurse in the ICU at Georgia's Piedmont Noonan Hospital, some kind of medication. Lori Wood has touched a lot of lives, but none have touched hers quite like Jonathan Pinkert. The 27-year-old with autism has been on his own since his grandmother died. Recently, as he was leaving work one day, something felt very wrong. I just could hardly breathe. The diagnosis, heart failure. His only option, a transplant. Jonathan had every requirement except one, family to care for him after surgery. Alone and out of options, Jonathan was dropped from the transplant list. Somebody's got to step up to the plate, and I was going to be that person. That's how Nurse Lori got a new name. Miss Lori, oh, I call her mama now. Becoming Jonathan's legal guardian. How quickly did you make that decision? Two or three days, there was something in my heart that I just knew that he needed. Months and a successful surgery later, Jonathan has barely skipped a beat, all settled in with Lori and her son. She has went above and beyond for me, and I can't thank her enough for just bringing me into her life. A new heart. She has really saved me. She really has. And a new family to fill it. Lane Alexander, NBC News, Noonan, Georgia. Oh, that's a great picture. New, new heart, new family. Amazing. Okay, I should have thought about this. Oh, yeah. So when we were talking about the hockey player, and Anne Sophie, Sophie Batez mm -hmm. of Canada, I said, well, there was no Chris Squire. Wait a minute. There was a Chris Squire. There is a Chris Squire. He was the bassist for Yes, the old rock band Yes. How Chris Squire. That? Well, I didn't remember it right away, obviously. It came to me. It came to you down Too the late. hall, though. Yeah, but, I, but luckily there was still more show. It's so. not a Chris hyphen Squire. Like no, yes. not like you guys. No, this is Chris, Chris last name Squire. Yeah. Got it. We can't sign off without saying thank you so much to everybody who showed up for the Christmas wish breakfast. It's absolutely amazing. It certainly was. Thank you. Have a good uh, night. Have a good night.